This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of Meaningful Sport. I'm very excited about today's episode, which continues explorations of the diverse meanings and practices of running that have been previously held in the podcast. We have already an extensive body of literature on running as a serious leisure practice, but there are also other ways of engaging with running. One of these is run commuting, which we will hear more about today. I'm delighted to have Dr. Simon Cook from Birmingham City University discussing with me his exciting work. Run commuting is an increasingly popular activity, or at least it was before the COVID pandemic dramatically changed the daily routines for so many of us. Simon is a human geographer and a runner whose work you should certainly check out at his wonderful website, Geographies. I will add this link to the show notes. So welcome, Simon, and thank you so much for finding the time for our conversation. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, I I read your work just before we uh, got in touch, and, and I have so many questions. I've also started this practice of run commuting in, in the past year, and there are certain challenges associated with just like you have written in your work. But before we head off, I think it would be really wonderful to hear a little bit about your personal background of uh, being a runner and and, uh, how the meaning of running and the way you practice running has evolved in your life. Yeah, and I think that's actually really pertinent to how I've gone about researching running because it definitely inspired sort of me kicking off my running research. And then as my own sort of running life has changed, I think the research has sort of evolved with it, or maybe the research has evolved my running. Who knows which way around it really is. But um, I sort of say I've been a runner for most of my life, really. Um, in, in the UK, a lot of uh, sort of youth sport athletics starts with something called sports hall athletics. Um, and I think I got involved in that when I was about seven or eight, so really quite young. Um, and then with that, you're introduced to all the different sort of disciplines within athletics. Um, but I think uh, as I sort of continued and especially as I got older and the distances increased, that's sort of where I found the things I really enjoyed. So, you know, I was quite quickly sort of in my early teens became a distance runner um, and really enjoyed sort of the, the cross country elements in particular, you know, getting very wet and muddy in a in a field in winter was definitely the sort of running I enjoyed. And uh-huh. I was I was competitive. I wasn't that good, I don't think. Uh, you know, I was never uh, winning medals. I was, you know, I've never ever thought it would be like a serious endeavor as such, but it's something I really enjoyed, uh, enjoyed doing. And then um, 
that continued sort of into university where I was involved in the um, sort of university athletics team at, at Plymouth um, uh, and probably where I performed sort of some of my best stuff. So that's where I really got into a bit more half marathon running and doing that sort of distance um, and then since university, things sort of petered out a bit, <laughs> I think, with, with moving to, to different cities and, uh, you know, becoming a postgraduate and sort of dealing with those rhythms of everyday life, it became more difficult to keep up the, the regular habit of running. Um, I then got uh, hit by a car when I was cycling to work uh, a few years ago, um, which revealed various underlying health conditions which means I've just not been able to run at all um, for the past three years but finally about two months ago I was uh, able to get back to running um, after sort of all a series of surgeries were all finished and I was I was sort of given the green light to to do some exercise again Um, and that's been such an interesting experience because I've got this history of you know being semi-competitive and you know speeds and times I used to be able to do but now in a new body where I can't necessarily do that anymore and finding out well what have I really missed about running so I'm, I'm back to it and I'm enjoying it but I think I'm doing it for very different purposes than I used to and I'm getting different things out of it than I used to do um, and I think that's definitely also been informed by the more I've been researching running and speaking to different people about you know why they run and what they really get out of it and then starting to see that come into my own practice it's um it's definitely been an interesting journey into I think but what, what I'm enjoying definitely yeah so you've really had a massive boundary situation as the existentialist would say that there's like whether it's possible for you to run at all so yeah. yeah, I've I've never had such a long break. I've I've had like stress fractures, and it would be like two three months, and you're not running anymore. And even like trying to run again feels very strange. Like you've lost the rhythm after yeah. after break, like a couple of months. Yeah, coming back to running, maybe just talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean it's something I'm. You know, once the geographer in me is constantly intrigued by it. So I am doing quite a lot of reflective thinking about it. And um, similar to you, you know, over the sort of 20 years or so I've been running, I've had short breaks, you know, maybe a few months for an injury or just I wasn't, uh, you know, doing as much as I should have done. But it was never too tricky to get back, um, you know, because my base fitness hadn't dropped too much, perhaps. And finding those rhythms again wasn't too arduous. But this was almost a totally different, a totally different experience with that, uh, because my my sort of body had forgotten its sort of movements and how it orientates to each other whilst on the run. It sort of was also impacted that uh, as part of the uh, getting hit when I was hit by the cars and my collarbones uh, broke, so they're in slightly different positions to what they used to be, and all this sort of sense of figuring out how my body now moves on the on the run i remember my very first run i tried um i had no idea how far i wanted to go or could go but i just i was you know it was it felt very awkward it felt very clumsy the running Mm. but also felt really good it was a sense of sort of movement and pushing my sort of body physically that i hadn't been able to do for a few years um so I was probably going a bit too quick and I think I managed about a mile and a half on my first run before I was like, I am absolutely shattered, um, which, you know, I used to be a distance runner. So that would, that would be barely classed as a warm up for what I used to do. So that was, that was quite surprising really. Um, but then I'm always sort of just sort of lent into it. I was thinking, well, if this is my new 
base or my you know my new fitness then I, I work with that so I very quickly stopped being fussed about how quickly I was going or how far and I was just doing what felt right and, and what felt good and with that and with the you know increasing fitness but also increasing experience and habit some of those rhythms became you know sort of started coming back to me and um I my factuation with um you know checking my stats after each run to see you know speeds distance times cadences all of that sort of subsided a bit as I just sort of started to feel like it was running again and I've been able to to get back and, and do um if anything further I've been running slower but further than I used to as well and that's also been enjoyable because I'm I'm using it to, to see bits of um, Birmingham I've never seen before and sort of using it for that discovery aspect as well, which um, is an element I've always enjoyed about running, but sort of came secondary to that competitive um, training element of my runs or is, whereas now I'm almost seeing, oh, I want to go to this place. Do I think I can get there on a run or whatever? So it's um, it's been yeah, a weird experience of um, bodily experiences, but also meaning changes um, yeah. as I've sort of done this journey back to, to to becoming a runner again. Yeah, I can certainly relate to that discovery element. I love to go for a run when you're in a conference trip. Or, well, that's like the old life before the COVID happened. But like, yes. if you are traveling and, and, for example, going for a conference, the best thing to do is go for a run early in the morning and explore the area and yeah i i also very much enjoy that exploration element yeah let's move to your work a little bit so you already mentioned from your personal story that uh running became more difficult with all the other time pressures so was was that part of the reason that you started doing some of this run commuting yourself so the my sort of arrival at run commuting wasn't from that personally because um okay yeah. as with a lot of academic work I was based at home and I was doing sort of doing my PhD so the the commute from the bedroom to the to the desk wasn't really <laughs> worthy running. exactly <laughs> but it sort of has its um links back in my undergraduate research actually um which was uh, really great so was, I did a a geography degree at, at Plymouth and I became really interested in um, the mobile mobility's turn in geography and you know more widely social sciences um, and how we understand movement as really meaningful rather than something that's sort of devoid and uh, meaningless and at the time there hadn't really been anything that looked at running within the mobility's turn and being a runner myself I was recognizing a lot of the, uh, the sort of ideas that were being discussed within my own practice. So I decided to, for my undergraduate dissertation, to look at, uh, to look at running. And I think one of the, the key aspects for that was that one of the fields in geography that had generally looked at movement was transport. And that always had this um, notion of a, a line between A and B is generally um, uh, motivated by either what's pushing you from A or, or drawing you to B. Um, but knowing my own running practices, there wasn't this A and B. Do you mean it was mm-hmm. most, most commonly people run these sort of loop shapes where they start and end um, at the same place. So that sort of sense of a locational dis- displacement, the need to get to somewhere motivating your movement just didn't seem to be apparent in running. So I thought this was a really useful sort of challenge to these notions and could, you know, really invite, um, 
other ideas to, to truly understand this form of movement. But that was my undergraduate. And I, I then started looking at run commuting for my, for my master's and then in, into my PhD, which coincided to when I, when I moved to, to London. So all my postgraduate work was at Royal Holloway University of London. Um, and there I just started seeing a lot more run commuters. Um, I'd, I'd come across a couple before then. I'm not thought too much about it. But then um, I became really intrigued in that as a, as a practice for challenging my own reasons to research and running. Because suddenly you do have this A to B notion. You do have the need to get to somewhere as motivating yeah. the, the, the run. So I'm like, well, how do they combine this, this sort of transport element, um, the need to get somewhere with those other aspects of running? So basically what's motivating that commute to be done by running? And it's been a really, really fascinating um, element to, to research. And then in sort of about two or three years um, into the PhD, I, I got this job at Birmingham City University. So I had the chance to do my own run commuting, um, which was really interesting because I'd been, you know, I'd been immersing myself for a couple of years within this and hearing all the, you know, people really advocate for it and say all the wonderful things about it. And I was doing it myself and it was, it was really hard work. I don't, I don't quite know what it was about the commute. I, the last mile was uphill, which I just, I just don't think is a nice way to start the day necessarily. But, um, I found it so fascinating to be dealing with all the, um, aspects they said that overcome or some of the issues or the experiences that they were finding within my own run commuting. Um, and then thinking about how that related to the work has been really interesting since, um, yeah, since my accident, I've not been able to do it. And now I'm, you know, I'm finally in a position where I might be able to run commute again, but we are just working at home. So I'm, uh, I'm interested in whenever I can get back to it, whether my thoughts and feelings and experiences around commuting are going to have changed sort of, you know, another few years down the line, um, as well as, you know, my own running purposes having changed a bit as well. It's a lot less focused on, on times and speeds. So, um, yeah, it's sort of my research inspired my run commuting in some ways, um, rather than the opposite way around. Yeah. Yeah. Oh no, that's, that's really interesting. Like, I think it worked both, just like you say, it works both ways that you already have an interest in, in this phenomenon, but maybe you learn something that you want to try as well as your research is like evolving. So yeah, let's, let's then talk a little bit about, you were interested in the phenomenon of run commuting. What, what specifically did you want to explore and, and what kind of theoretical and, and conceptual lenses did you use to do that? I think like, you know, most people, when I speak to them about run commuting, there's either they've heard of it, but it sounds very peculiar. And it's a bit like, why would you, why would you run to work? Um, or some people yeah. have never heard about, about it are almost shocked that it's, that it's a notion that people think about this and, and, and do it. And I think it was that, that sense of surprise or unknown that really inspired me to, to try and look at run, run commuting. Um, because there has been, you know, when I started, it was, you know, it's been going on for, for decades, but it's definitely been emerging much more quickly over the last few years. And my research was really lucky to come at a time of this sort of, um, when it was coming to, to more prominence, but there was very, very little known about it. So I had this relative blank canvas of a mobile practice, um, which was immediately sort of drew me to it in terms of, mm. well, how can, how can we understand this? Because, you know, it's being used for, uh, mode of transport so what does sort of transport 
theories offer us to help understand it. Um, but then from my own research of looking at it as a form of mobility um, has shown that that's a very useful way to understanding it. Then we've got the work of sort of physical cultural studies and sport and exercise and to be like all of these different all of the different fields might have a really interesting question or approach to, to understanding what is probably quite a boundary crossing practice anyway. So the um, the research was, was was purposely quite broad to try and sort of start colouring in this canvas of our understanding of run commuting. So I wanted to understand its emergence, its production and its potential, sort of the three big things. So sort of why are people doing it and uh, why is it seemingly increasing in popularity right now? Um, the production is sort of well, how does it happen and how, what are the various aspects that are coming together to help facilitate, enable or constrain um, run commuting. And then there's the potential. So, you know, what's going to happen in the future? What role could run commuting play in both sort of the mobility lives of, of cities, but also people's personal lives and personal biographies? Um, so it was very, very broad. And, you know, the sub-questions... I wanted to find out the list extended and extended. So my sort of theoretical approaches were trying to find, um, were seeking to find resources that could help understand sort of a mobile practice very, very broadly. Um, and there was three in end that I sort of took um, inf- heavy influence from and sort of merged together. And the first one was uh, Tim Cresswell's production of mobilities sort of framework. And here he's saying that any mobile practice has sort of three key elements that are entangled together to produce what we understand by this um, form of movement. So there's what he calls the brute facts of movement. And we could think about that as physical movements. Um, So, you know, where did they go? How quickly? Who was doing it? Those sorts of questions. There's then the representations of mobility. So what meanings are held and shared about this form of movement and how do they impact the practice? And then there's the experience of mobility. So um, how is that form of movement lived? How is it embodied? How is it done? And how do those three aspects entangle together? And that's when I'd been inspired by my first research. That was sort of my um, my, my comfort ground, I think. Um, and one um, theoretical approach I've found really, really useful for thinking about different elements of a practice and understanding it in, a, in this relatively broad way. And then was also inspired by um, Oli Jensen's staging mobilities uh, framework, which is much more looking at mobilities in situ. So how do they happen in the moment? And he argues there's um, there's factors that stage from above. So you've got things like uh, design and regulation, which are impacting how people are moving, which then are in interaction with elements that are staging from below, one of which are embodied performances. So... Um, yeah, again, what's it like to do that sort of movement? What experiences are being had? What sort of meanings are being embodied and communicated through that work? And then it's then third one was social interaction. So how do people um, engage with others on the move? How do they navigate and negotiate each other in these mobile spaces? And then lastly, I was inspired by um, the Elizabeth shows and colleagues um, dynamics of social practice because that was a really useful way of trying to understand how um, these practices come together but also how they change over time and again they have nice three elements to to consider in trying to offer sort of a slimline version of practice theory Um, so one is uh, skills and skills or competencies so what uh, what skills do people have enable them to do this practice one of them is 
meanings. So what meanings, representations are held about them. And um, the final one is materials. So what sort of objects are involved in enabling uh, or the coming together of these practices. So these sort of three guiding influences or, or sort of frameworks for trying to approach a practice as holistically as, as possible we sort of guided my theoretical uh, framing of the work and the sorts of questions I asked. Um, and it's not always easy to work across all, all three, but each of them offered something really interesting to try and understand run commuting, you know, as completely as I thought was possible within a, within a PhD um, and have yeah proved really useful for thinking about um, not only what run commuting is, but the, you know, the changes that has happened over the sort of five years or so I was studying it and to try and account for those changes. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting. And I mean, you've covered a lot of ground in, in your PhD. <laughs> we know that it's always a challenge to limit it to somewhere, but <laughs> yes. it sounds to me that you wanted to <laughs> explore a lot of questions in that. But yeah, I, I think your frameworks that you use, they also give us a nice little structure for exploring your work. So I think we can start a little bit by just looking at who are the people who are doing the run commuting. And after that, we can move to the experiences, meanings and, and practices. So yeah, let's just first look at who are the people who are doing that. Yeah, and it's a really interesting aspect because within within who is doing it, you, there's this sense that the population of run commuters is almost a subsection of the running population. It, I don't think I've come across anybody who um, run commutes but didn't run outside of that or wasn't sort of already doing running and then doing it. So in that sense, you've got quite a narrow population of who are doing it. Um, and running itself, particularly in the UK, is slightly skewed to it's particularly a white practice quite middle class as well so there's already sort of some um, social divisions within the running population and then when you get to when commuting that seems to have been sort of magnified a bit so um you know run run commuting is a it's most it's about two-thirds male in the uk predominantly um middle class um middle-aged middle class um people who work in sort of professional office-based jobs mostly who essentially are, are deciding to run commute to try and fit it into their everyday life so they've basically got a time shortage um are, are finding it you know not possible to fit running as as much running as they'd like into their everyday life therefore they think how can i where can i find some time to run and then the commute becomes an option so with that there become various privileges either at work or at home which mean that running to work um becomes a possibility for them which is why we see some of these sort of social patterns within it around who is able to particularly things like job type um who's able to run commute and who is who is not that's not to say there aren't others so i mean c compared to cycle commuting in the uk um there are a better representation of, of women um, mm -hmm. in run commuting populations, but they have a very interesting age dynamic. I think there, um, you tend to see uh, uh, more women run commuting before average sort of childbearing age, and then but more men afterwards. So this idea of uh, what impact can children and sort of being a parent have on the possibility to run commute. It would seem that for women, it becomes 
more difficult so less are able to do it once they've had children and are generally doing it beforehand um, but for, for men if anything it, you know that is either more of their motivation to do it or whatever um, in practices which are entwined with commuting enable them that the, the run there becomes easier or more plausible after having children so it's um there's quite a lot of interesting d- dynamics going on there uh, within yeah who who can run commute and who is run commuting yeah just like you mentioned also what kind of job you have and what kind of facilities you have at work like you probably need to take a shower if you run for like 45 minutes before going to work and yeah to be able to have some of your stuff at the office or at the workplace yeah. as well indeed yeah. those sort of you know um facilities for washing and hygiene become really important and storage but equally there's a sense of um it being acceptable to turn up to work sweaty maybe in lycra have your smelly trainers in the office yeah um, not every workplace or, or sort of industry can allow that so if you think about retail perhaps you know there's a you're much more public facing and whether that's acceptable to have you know been running just beforehand and you imagine there might be fewer facilities to store stuff or or uh, change and shower um there so yeah it's um there is quite a lot that goes on and uh some of the reasons we see particular uh especially well in the survey that i did as part of the the research there was uh, teaching and education and sort of banking finance and then sort of media as the biggest industries uh for mm-hmm. people who run commute um so whether that the time whether that represents sort of you know seeing somebody run commute can often be the biggest catalyst for somebody else to consider doing it so this yeah. sense of um are they spreading in these industries because more and more people are doing them but also definitely that there's um the facilities or, or um things that enable you to run commute or encourage you to run commute within particular industries yeah. which aren't visible everywhere yeah questions like the dress code in the office and and those kind of things like, yeah uh, I was doing a bit of run commuting when I was a visiting researcher at the Norwegian School of Sports Science. And and when you're in a sports department, then, you know, people have skis in their office and it was quite normal for people to be like <laughs> yeah. walking around, you know, in there. If they were going to the gym, they might be walking around with their like gym clothes and, and stuff like that. And that was perfectly fine. But I can imagine that in a lot of other offices, you won't be running around or walking around with your running shoes. And that, and that could even change with your role within an organization as well. So I had a a couple of people in the sort of study I interviewed who were sort of the managers or the heads of their organizations. And that was really interesting because they, they were commenting on the sense of you know, I, I use this term atmospheres of acceptability within, within the PhD to say, you know, to indicate this sort of sense of social relations and what impact they have on whether you feel comfortable in commuting to work. And they were saying that um, as sort of the managers or the heads of their organisations, if, if it's okay for them to do it, then, it, you know, they're obviously setting that pattern that it must be, a, must be okay for other people as well. But they were e- equally remarking that, you know, they could equally see perhaps in a slightly different organization that they wouldn't feel they could do that, that, you know, the, the example they need to be setting would be more formal dress wear or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. So the way that that, that those things can change even within an organization where it is um, within an industry where it is quite popular, it can, there's a lot of aspects that come together to, 
either enable or, or, or challenge it. And it's it, it's one thing that um, uh, sort of the, the female run commuters in my study were remarking is they they do feel more um, gendered expectations in the workplaces around what's acceptable um, to look like, and that's why there's fewer of them well they remark fewer of them would probably run commute and why they're more likely to just run commute home rather than to work so they don't have to you know confront with those or live up to those expectations after having run to work so there's um lots of interesting dynamics involved in it yeah i can certainly see that very easily like (laughs) women need to be taking thinking about you know makeup and hair and and whatever you know, so it's in in certain of these practical ways, it's more it's easier for for men to do that. Maybe, mm-hmm. yeah. I read this interesting part of your dissertation where you are uh, writing about running with the bag, and that's something that is different from like runners when we just go for a run and come back home, we don't need anything with us. But so this having uh, this stuff with you makes it a bit different. So yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one aspect I was desperate to sort of research, I think, when coming to run commuting. Um, and it definitely was, it's, it's inspired by the role that bags have in run commuting practices, but also partly inspired by how much I hate running with a bag. So <laughs> I was sort of very intrigued to something which I really despised, how people could... Um, tolerate it or put up with it or you know possibly even in, enjoy it and um yeah you know living in london for most of this research that, that you you can genuinely see streams of run commuters at, at rush hour along sort of some major routes so along the the rivers or along the canals or in the parks there was it would be endless and you'd see such a variety of bags some which are clearly sort of very minimal and trying to keep things light but some people who are you know practically on holiday with the amount of stuff they were they were running with so I was really intrigued by how they manage this and what the experience is like um but also what it what it speaks about the practice around computing because uh, you know the, the reason a bag is needed so much you know commuting practices where perhaps not other running practices is that dual function as a commuting mode and it's not just bodies that commute we also have stuff we need we need with us so it's, it's quite a symbolic material really in terms of um how it signifies run commuting and if you know most media articles about running to work will feature somebody with a bag as well so yeah, symbolically it's um it's very important but i was really intrigued with how people find this experience of running with a bag um perhaps all that how that's changed or how they've managed it as well um and in 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 the in the phd i wrote this up through a lens of sort of rhythm analysis which seemed really really useful for understanding the impact of running with a bag um and i I think rhythm becomes quite a natural concept for runners anyway you know it's used in everyday language in running about you know finding your rhythm getting into your rhythm um and there's been some great work in in recent years by people like uh tim Adenza, jonas larson um looking at running through rhythm analysis and um and jonas larson's done a, a brilliant what he's called a fleshy ethnography of this running event in uh in denmark which is really trying to pay attention to sort of the, the bodily rhythms and the sort of biological rhythms uh, that go on when we're running so this provided really useful material for considering what impact 
running with a bag has. And there was mostly this sense that it was disruptive, at least initially, to people's running rhythms. You know, the added weight of a bag, the restriction of straps um, can really easily change all those various rhythms that come together in this ensemble of a runner. So, you know, your your arm swings, your, your breaths, your leg raises, all these things can change and be put out of kilter, um, be put, you know, out of what we might call eurythmia um, by the addition of a bag and coping with it. And then the bag also takes on its own rhythms as it's sort of attached to you. It's bouncing off you and jangling and jagging into you. And people would report, you know, the blisters they'd got or, you know, the even just things like it makes you sweat a lot more. There's so many different elements that running with a bag has. Um, and for me, uh, when I run with the bag, I feel like I'm running very flat. And it, that's about as much as I can really describe it. And, you know, it's, one one thing I, I tried but didn't end up writing up into the PhD was to use things like um, you know the running uh, analytics you can get from GPS and heart rate monitors to see whether my vertical oscillation, which is you know your up and down movements, did change um, when running with the bag. And I, I can see that it, it does, and it's so the sense that I was running flat was genuinely it was it was changing sort of the bounciness of my rhythms and, and whatnot, and. Um, for me, I, I just, I just hate it. I really dislike running with it. But for people who either really needed or really enjoyed run commuting, actually, they found lots of ways in which they could manage these sort of disruptive rhythms of bodies and bags. Um, so things become tolerable. You know, it's, it's not necessarily the same rhythm of their ordinary running, but they can find a rhythm which suits for them with, with their run commuting. And there's lots of things they can try changing, sort of like the, the speed at which they run, the, the slower it was, the sort of less disruptive rhythms were. The design of the bag can become really important. There are, you know, that the running bag industry has found a new market in run commuters, definitely, rather than just sort of trail runners or ultra runners who it was perhaps usually pitched to. There's now this, you know, specific need uh, for things for, run, for running to work. And there's, you know, even a couple of bags purposefully designed for, for run commuters. So those sorts of things which can lock down uh, the bag to the body um, become really useful. Um, and equally things like packing the bag. As mundane and boring as that seems, people were developing their own routines or their own uh, skills in how they best pack the bag, both to reduce any impacts on them, so sort of things digging into them or hitting them, but also um, to protect what's in the bag. If, you know, if you're running with your nicely ironed shirt, you would like it to stay nice and you know, crease-free by the time you arrive at work. So these various yeah. competencies people had, had developed to try and manage these various rhythms and how they either you know, conflict or may, may be harmonious. Um, so for, yeah, for some people, it's become quite tolerable and they don't really notice it. For other people, it's still a, bit, a big issue, but one that's sufferable. And for other people, it's uh, is genuinely the reason they don't run commute, or they stopped running commute. They stopped run commuting uh, because they just did not did not want to run with a bag. Yeah, you mentioned a little earlier that a lot of these people who are doing the run commuting that they are quite serious runners. Oh. They are like a subset of the running community at large. So 
I'm wondering, like, with the bag, your running changes a little bit. Like, for example, you might slow down because that's uh, not as enjoyable or not you cannot find a rhythm with the bag. Mm. So would these runners be unhappy with, you know, running slower? We know that runners are sometimes a bit obsessed with their reaching a certain pace or certain time and, and, and all those things. So would, would they complain about <laughs> that element? Um, I think there definitely would be those who do complain about it. And it's, you know, it is a limitation of um, my work so far is that I've only engaged with people who are run commuting and are still run commuting. So those who, you know, have the biggest issues with it are probably not the ones I managed to to speak to. Mm-hmm. But um, it really boils down to what role run commuting had within their training sort of practices. Most of them are serious in that the time demands mean it's very difficult to fit into everyday life and um, they're looking for other sort of other ways of, of, of getting their running in that's not everybody especially as you continue to emerge I think more and more people are just seeing it's it's potentially a really useful uh, way of getting the running in but for those who are more, more serious um, there's a sense that a run commute would never be a training session so uh-huh. by that they mean you know they're trying to reach particular speeds or goals or sort of repetitions they often saw it as, you know, just base miles or really useful recovery runs. So they're recognizing that both things like running with a bag, but also running in this time space of city center commute. You know, you, you're suddenly there's so many more people you're going to encounter on your run than you may normally encounter um, on a run. And you're, you know, you're probably running places you wouldn't necessarily choose to run if you were trying to you know, do a particular training session. So, you know, most commonly people are going into city centres, which are going to be busier, where, you know, outside of a run commute, you may choose to try and stick to other areas which are going to be quieter and allow you to do the sorts of running you need. So recognising those various um, sort of attributes of a run commute and what it requires, you know, a lot of them just used it as these are just extra miles, there's no pressure on them, sort of, uh, either recovery miles or even injury prevention miles so you know I'm just going to jog out yesterday's session or you know the, the session I did in the evening or whatever and if there were particular days they were doing proper what they'd see as proper training sessions you know there are various logistic routines they can develop where you know for a day or two it's possible not to have a bag and they might go to particular places. So, you know, I might go to the canal um, and do a, a speed session down the canal because there's going to be no road crossings and all these sorts of things. Um, but these are obviously um, knowledges they've built up through their habits and, and, and practices of run commuting, which can really inform how to maximise sort of the benefits that they see from it. Um, but yeah, I think a lot of them are happier to, to go slower as well. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you're using. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for 
forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.